speaking the truth in love to one another. We build each other up into Christ Jesus. That happened to me late last night. Got a chance to go over to Dr. Kuhn's house and Luke Beal was there. And I just availed myself, similar to what Troy just said. And I said, I need help. I need y'all to pray for me. A little, little bit of a funk. Can't get out of it. There's a cloud. I just talked to Chris McGathy a few minutes before that. He was feeling the same way. Just battling through. My soul is just disturbed within me. And I'm ready. I'm ready to receive the ministry. You know what Dick Kuhn said? He said, you know what we're going to do? We're just going to wait for five minutes. We're just going to wait on the Holy Spirit and see what he says. Best idea ever. He's a doctor, so smart. So we just waited. I just waited. Just got word. I just got some visions of what the Spirit was saying. The wind was blowing last night. It was nice and cool. Heard the chimes on the back porch just speaking to me. And then the brothers just started speaking. And they started speaking the truth in love. And something snapped inside of me. And I just started weeping, weeping, embarrassingly so, just uncontrolled, just let it go. And it just lifted off. So I stand here today feeling a lot lighter than I did just a few hours ago, last night. But it was because they spoke the truth in love and really led me to the truth teller, to the Holy Spirit who guides me into all reality and all truth. And I got aligned and I knew the truth again, that I am a son, I'm not a slave, he loves me, I'm not condemned, and the truth did what? Set me free. Set free. I got to have it every day. Every day I got to have that. That's why community is so important. We're just speaking the truth in love. This is who you are in Christ Jesus. This is what he's called you to. Don't forget what he's done. Look that you've been made a new creation. Remember that. You're more than how you've been acting lately. Praise the Lord and we're set free. And it's not a self-help thing we build ourselves up. It's like alignment with the truth again for who we have. And so... I went home last night and had no idea. What is the Lord doing? I felt just broken. I just felt empty. I felt uh, just like I got nothing, nothing left in the tank. I sat there this morning, a couple hours ago. I'm like, I got nothing. And then Holy Spirit, lead, just speak. And I flipped open my Bible to Matthew chapter 26, and I'd remembered what I'd been studying a few days ago. And it all came crashing back. And so I, I'm saying all this, I'm giving this backstory to say, you don't stand and preach week after week on your own strength very long, right? We don't go to work and, and we don't raise a family. We don't do all that we do in the kingdom on our own strength very long. We can do it a little bit, but then we collapse. There has to be a fresh filling of the spirit on a regular daily basis to be able to impart what the Lord is doing. So I stand before you today as just a weak, broken vessel, and I'm hoping the Lord will speak through. So Peter, in Matthew chapter 26, was caught up in a great spiritual cosmic battle, and he didn't even know it. He was the strongest of all the disciples. He was powerful in his flesh. He didn't know what Paul knew at this point in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, that the war that we wage, we cannot wage it on the world's terms, on the world's battlefield. And we surely cannot use the weapons of this world to fight that war because we lose every time. We're in a spiritual fight, and if we use fleshly weapons, we lose. 
And so when we, when we push in and of ourselves, we can push for a while, but ultimately we always fail every single time. And so we have to fight spiritual battles with spiritual weaponry. We're, we're engaged in a great cosmic spiritual war, and Peter had yet to learn that. And something had to happen for him to get on board with that program. And so I love this chapter. I've actually preached on this before, but I think it's a fascinating study into what we look like as following after Jesus in the flesh versus in the spirit. So go with me to verse 31 of Matthew 26. Jesus said to them, this very night you will all fall away on account of me. For it is written, Zechariah, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. So Jesus was lifting up for his boys, this is the way. And the way looks like I'm about to die and you all will be scattered in your flesh. You're not yet filled and empowered with the Holy Spirit. But after the resurrection, then I will go before you as a shepherd leads his sheep and you follow after me. That's the way. That's the template. I got to die. You're going to follow after me after I resurrect, but not until I die and resurrect will you be able to follow after me. I'll lead you like a shepherd. And Jesus' method says, I have no regard and no need for your human strength in the flesh. Nothing you can offer me, no sacrifice, no service, no noble resolve or dedication will do it. I need you to identify with me in your own death so you can follow after me as a sheep. No sense of the heroic is going to remain, no matter how bold you might be. And Peter, as a representation of all of us, replied in verse 33, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. I never will. And then Jesus said it again the second time, truly I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows, you'll disown me three times. Jesus, this is the way. This is what's going to happen. Peter, no, it's not. Second time, Jesus, no, truly, I tell you, not only will you disown me, you'll disown me three times. And Peter, in the second response, says, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same thing. So Peter has been set up by Jesus for a glorious seven-stage transformation of leaning on the arm of the flesh into identifying and being broken in his own weakness and being filled with the Holy Spirit. He just didn't know it yet. He's being set up to be delivered from noble thoughts and heroic actions for Jesus that Jesus has no regard and no need for. And so Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to him, said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took his cream of the crop, the three boys, and he said, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Let's practice what you just said to me in the flesh. I want you to stay here. Don't go anywhere. And your one task is to stay awake and to keep watch. And what the disciples didn't know is there was a spiritual battle raging in the cosmic places and it was not fought on the fleshly plane. And so they had no resolve and no physical endurance that was going to get them through the spiritual slumber that was about to come on them. They had to have the power of the Holy Spirit to do it. And so as we know, step number one, Peter falls asleep. 
And Jesus comes back and he says, couldn't you keep watch with me for one hour? And he says again, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And he goes back and prays. He's come back. The boys are sleeping again. Number two, failure of the flesh. Can you imagine how Peter felt knowing what he just said to Jesus? I'll never and I'll never. And now twice he's fallen asleep. Jesus goes away one more time. He comes back and he says, are you still sleeping? Rise. For my betrayer is here, as if to say, now this will wake you up. The enemies are all awake and they're coming after me with swords and clubs and a band. Now you'll wake up. I will help you wake up because of persecution that's coming. But three times in a row, he disowned him in the spirit. He said, I will stay awake with you and I'll watch with you. He said, yes, but spiritually he couldn't make it through. And then you get to verse 56. Then all the disciples deserted him and fled. After the Roman soldiers came and Peter cut off the ear, he deserted him in body. He actually fled from him physically. And he gets to the last three times where he goes to the campfire and the little servant girl comes up and he denies once and denies again and denies a third time. And he deserted him emotionally, spirit and body and soul. As a friend, he deserted him. He said, I never knew the man. And after three times in the spirit, one time in the body, and then three times emotionally, seven times filled up, you get to verse 75. Then Peter remembered the word that Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And he got to the culmination of what Jesus was trying to get to. And he went outside and he wept and he wept and he wept. And something got dislodged from our brother Peter that he didn't even know was there. But the Lord Jesus knew it was there. And he said, I want to I move you up. I want to graduate you to the next level. I want to I move you from leaning on your own strength to realizing you have nothing in and of yourself and in weakness you call on me for strength. Watchman Nee has a book called Sit, Walk, Stand, and he compares a man who's accepted Christ, been sealed with the Holy Spirit, but is still trying to fight for him in his flesh and trying to pull off the Lord's requirements in the flesh, and he compares him to a drowning man. And we all know what that looks like. To save a drowning person, you have to let them run out of their own strength before you can bring them to shore. Why? Because if you don't, they'll flail and they'll grab onto you and you'll both drown. And so he says this, I love this quote, God is waiting for your store of strength to be utterly exhausted before he can deliver you. Once you have ceased to struggle, he will do everything. God is waiting for you to despair. Isn't that so good? He's, it's almost like you're sitting there in a car with a full tank of gas and there's a, a transport plane ready to fly that car overseas where that car could never get. But the car weighs too much to get on the plane. And so the mechanic is coming to drain the fuel tank to make it light enough to put on the plane. And we're stopping the fuel from coming out with her. We're trying to put more fuel in because fuel's draining out. We're trying to build up our strength in the flesh. And the Lord's like, look, if you just let it all drain out and, and be in despair about your own abilities, I'll get you on the plane. 
And I'll take you to places you've never been before, but I need you to be empty. I'm waiting on you to be empty. And all I tell you, if I hadn't had so much practice in this, I couldn't be an expert in talking to you about it today. Jesus says the entire theme for what happened in Matthew 26 is found, look with me, in verse 36 through 38. Sorry, look in verse 41 with me. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He sums everything up that's about to happen with Peter by saying, listen to me. The spirit inside of you, the little S spirit inside of you, it's willing. It's eager. It's ready to roll. Let's go. The spirit's leaning in to do the things of God. But our flesh that gets in the way of that, our flesh is impotent. It's without strength, it's feeble, and it's infirm. And the very confidence we place in the flesh is the very thing that holds us back from doing what we want to do in the first place for God. The very confidence we put in the flesh that's completely unable to do anything for God is the very thing that holds us back. And so he says, I need you to identify with your own death. The death of the flesh, we're dead to sin one time. We die to the flesh every day because of the cross of Christ. And so these seven stages, the fullness and complete utter abandonment of any confidence we have in ourselves, has to take place before we graduate. What does graduation look like? Well, to me, graduation looks like Psalm 57 too. I cried out to God, to God the Most High, and NIV says, to the God who vindicates me. Amplified says, I cried out to the God most high, to God who accomplishes all things on my behalf, or to the God who fulfills his purposes for me, ESV. That's who I identify with now. It's God who does everything for me and in me and through me. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. We graduate to Isaiah chapter 26, 12. Lord, you have established peace for us and all that we have accomplished, you have done. All that we have accomplished, you have done. That's graduation for me. That's an accomplishment. That's moving to the next level. Anything good that's happening in me, it's Christ Jesus living through me. And any confidence I place, good, bad, or ugly in the flesh is totally a waste of time. Lord has no regard for it. Graduation for me looks like 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, where Paul says, we were under great pressure far beyond our ability to endure so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death, but this happened, why? So that we would not rely or lean on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. All this brokenness happened so that we might just want him. And he's all we need and he's all that we can rely on. And then at the end of 2 Corinthians, when I'm weak, then I'm what? Strong. So I'll boast in my weakness that the power of Christ might tabernacle over me. So when we bolster ourselves up, we try to put fuel in that tank, the Lord's just standing back waiting. He loves us so much and he's waiting. And this call to death is saying, once you have ceased, I will do everything. Once you have despaired of yourself, I'll take over. Remember, you work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it's God who wills and works in you, Philippians 2.13, to accomplish his good purposes. He's ready to go. The spirit is willing, 
I'm telling you, in our spirit, man, this is what we want. So we're in a spiritual battle right now that is covering the earth. We prayed last night. I'm like, again, business as usual in the church is just over. We don't have time for it. There's such deep darkness and there's, there's so much death around us right now, like spiritual death and yet even physical death. We're, I don't know, a half a dozen funerals it feels like. Just in the last weeks, there's so many people we know that are passing away. And this earth and its form is passing away. And what's he calling us to? Well, if you remember Luke chapter 4, when Jesus stands up and he reads from the scroll at the beginning of his ministry, and he says, this is what was written. I am fulfilling what was in the scroll right now. I'm going to bind up the brokenhearted, speak freedom to the captives. Well, he stands up in the temple and he reads this passage about himself. And then right out the, right out the chute, he hacks everybody off. And he says, you know, there were a lot of widows during the time of Elisha. But only one of them, the widow of Sidon, got fed and she got the miracles. Oh man, that just did it right off the bat. Talking about a Gentile widow to them, the Pharisaical leaders. And then he really put the nail in the coffin. He says, and there was a bunch of people in Elisha's time that had leprosy and none were cleansed, but only Naaman, the Syrian. Only Naaman, the Syrian commander was cleansed. Well, at that point, they all were enraged at Jesus and they gathered him up and they walked him out to the brow of the cliff to throw him off and to kill him. You remember that? He was, it was not his time to go, but they were ready right then, right out the gate when he, when he started his ministry. You got to die. The scriptures didn't prophesy about Jesus being thrown off a cliff. And so he turned around, it says, and he walked right through the crowd and he went on his way. But I'm telling you, something kicked them into rage and anger. Well, one of those stories was Naaman the Syrian. And I want to take just a few minutes and go backwards with you in time. Go with me to 2 Kings chapter 5. I want to unpack that. And I believe it's a word for us today. This has been on my heart for a little while now as it relates to what the Lord's speaking to us. After ceasing to struggle, the Lord has great things in store for his church. Hang with me here if you would through this story. I think it's super valuable. Eric, come on up here. Come on, come on up here. Eric's got a better reading voice than I do. That's silly. Read, read, read right there. It's an Old Testament. Read through verse, uh, read through verse uh, 14, will you? This is going to be better. Uh, starting in verse 1 and just go through verse 14. Now Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded. Because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. Now bands of raiders from Aram had gone out and had taken captive a young girl from Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, if only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. 
Naaman went to his master and told him what the girl from Israel had said. By all means, go, the king of Aram replied. I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten sets of clothing. The letter that he took to the king of Israel read, With this letter I am sending my servant Naaman to you, so that you may cure him of his leprosy. As soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his robes and said, Am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of his leprosy? See how he is trying to pick a quarrel with me. When Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes, he sent him this message. Why have you torn your robes? Have the man come to me and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger to say to him, Go, wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh will be restored, and you will be cleansed. But Naaman went away angry and said, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. Are not Abana and Farpar the rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and went off in rage. Naaman's servants went to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more then when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? So he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times, as the man of God had told him, and his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. Amen. Okay, so fantastic story. Um, why does that apply to us in season? We'll unpack that in just a minute. Look with me uh, at the very beginning of chapter 5 for the description of Naaman. He was a great man. He was highly regarded because through the Lord he had been given victory to Aram. And he was a valiant soldier, but number four, he had leprosy. So this guy had it all together except for one thing. He was dying and dead of leprosy, really, by, by all means. But he was the servant of the king. And so he gets this letter, but he doesn't just get a letter from the king. He gets 10 talents of silver. Now that's 75 pounds per talent times 10, 750 pounds of silver. He gets 6,000 shekels of gold and 10 sets of clothing. So this is Peter saying, I am prepared and I've got all the firepower at my disposal as a fisherman. I'm not afraid to die. I got a sword. I'm ready to go. I have everything I need to obtain what I, I, I have everything I need to get healed and to, and to protect, right? Everything in the flesh. I've even got the letter. 
And so he shows up because he's ready to make huge sacrifice, Naaman is. He's ready on his terms to make huge sacrifice. And he pulls up to Elisha's house because the king of Israel freaks out and said, what am I going to do about this? I have no power. And that's really the law. The king of Israel is the law saying, I got no power to help you. Look, I can tell you got leprosy and I can tell you where to go to get it, but I can't tell you how, I can't fix it for you. The king of Israel freaks out, says, go to Elisha, because Elisha says, as God in this story, I can take care of you. I can help you. And so he goes to Elisha, but he shows up on his terms and he pulls up in front of his house. And what's he expecting? Well, he's expecting Elisha to come out to him and to do what? Stand before him. Naaman up in his chariot, Elisha down on the ground because Naaman is the commander of the Syrian army after all. And he's expecting him to wave his hand over him and heal him. But Elisha, instead of doing that, sends a messenger out to him just to, uh, just to take the dagger and just turn it in his flesh. Because he was ready to make all kinds of sacrifices, but not when you disrespect me as a valiant warrior, as a great man, and as highly regarded. Yes, I have leprosy, but don't forget the top three things I have going for me. I'm important. And Elisha just, by the hand of the Lord, just squeezes that flesh and starts to hurt his flesh. Well, he was not ready to sacrifice that far. And so Naaman wheels his chariot around after he gets a very simple command. Stay with me and wait, watch, and pray. One hour. It's the simple command. Naaman's command, just go dip in the Jordan River seven times. Well, that hurts my flesh because I'm ready to do great things for God, not get in my prayer closet for an hour where nobody sees me. I'm ready to do great things instead of showing up to another corporate prayer meeting where it feels like I'm so weak and I'm not really accomplishing much in that. I'm ready to do something else besides that. And Naaman gets his pride hurt and he turns around, but pay attention to the servant. The servant throughout this whole passage is the Holy Spirit, the servant girl whispering into her mistress's ear, tell the, the, the commander Naaman if he would only go. If he would only go to Elisha, he'd get healed. And then the servants, Naaman's servants walk up and they say, Master, if he would have required something great of you, wouldn't you have do, done that thing? But it was something so simple. Would you please consider it? Well, Naaman had a choice to make in his chariot head towards the Jordan or head back home and nurse his pride. And praise the Lord, he chose humility. But that wasn't just it. It was three things it required. He had to humble himself. He had to step out in faith in the word of Elijah. And then he had to be obedient to his command. He had to first humble himself and step out in faith. This is what he told me to do. And it makes no sense why I can't do it in these other rivers. And Why do I have to do it in the stinking Jordan River? Why do I have to show up to another prayer meeting? Why do I got to go do this? Why can't we do something else? I'm just going to have faith in your word. And I'm just going to finally be obedient to your command, which is not burdensome. The commands of the Lord are not burdensome, guys. Many had leprosy in Elisha's day, but only Naaman the Syrian was healed. Why? Because he was humble and he stepped out in faith and he obeyed the command that was given to him. Got a bunch of Naamans in here right now that are able to turn the tide right now of leprosy in our land. Our land is sick. There's darkness over the whole land right now. 
And nothing is, I'm telling you guys, like I feel more convinced than ever. The Lord told us not to sacrifice on our terms. Sacrifice on his terms. We're all willing to sacrifice, but his terms are different than ours. I'm like, can I do something else like 750 pounds of silver and clothing and gold? No, I need you to just simply obey and go to the Jordan. That's all I need from you. Yeah, but don't forget about who I am and what I've accomplished and what I've done. Really, that's the, the rub. He's looking for a broken and contrite heart. Here's a truth. Our sacrifice for the Lord in the flesh is always and will always be more difficult than his requirement of our sacrifice in the spirit. We always put more on ourselves than he's putting on us when we try to do it in the flesh. Every time, every time, invite my neighbor across the hall to my house for dinner. I'm gonna walk over and I'm gonna spend time investing in my cross-dressing neighbor and invite them to dinner or something like that. Maybe yours is different. Yeah, I'd rather go preach sermons and lead worship for a bunch of people and do, you know, all the great things, whatever, in front of people. And the Lord's like, what's the one thing I'm calling you to do? Are you ready to obey that? And there will be healing. It's told him, he told him, look, look real quick in, in 2 Kings 13. My father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, how much more than when he tells you Wash and be cleansed. In verse 14, go to the Jordan seven times as the man of God told him. Told, told, told. What's the Lord told us? What's the Lord told you? Well, I believe, I've been saying this, the Lord has told us to go, to humble yourself, to pray, and to seek his face and turn from your wicked ways. That's what he's told us to do. That's it. Some great thing? No. He's told us to pray. To fast and pray. To seek his face and to turn away from wicked ways. And I'm telling you guys, the church is in a chariot heading back to Syria right now because we're like, we don't want to do that. And I'm, and I'm telling myself and I'm telling you, we got no options if we don't pray, I said this to Tyler, we had lunch this week. We got, I got nothing left for the church to do except pray. It's, over, it's game over if we don't pray. And when we're ready to get serious about this, the Lord's really dead serious and eager and willing and able to bring healing for the leprosy in our land. He's ready to go. Are we ready to go dip seven times in the Jordan and just pray and seek his face? Please don't, this is not law. I don't want to put anything on you guys other than just what the Lord has told you. What's he called you to in your place of prayer? Are you giving him a daily sacrifice of praying? Daniel, three times a day. What's it look like for you? What's he called you to? Morning, noon, night. Where's he called you to be on the wall? He has no regard for your strength or your sacrifice, or your gifts, or mine. He's looking for a broken and contrite and humble heart that's humble and faith-filled and obedience. So like Peter, 
We have to come to the end of ourselves. We have to die to ourselves. We have to identify with him and his death. And then in that resurrection life, he goes before us and we follow behind him. So what happens when we pray? I, I feel so weak sometimes. I don't know about you, but when two or three of us gather together, we have the citywide prayer meeting here a couple weeks ago. I think there's 20 people here from the city, five churches. I feel so weak. Luke and Savannah leading us in worship. We're here, we're praying. I'm like, what are we doing, Lord? Like when somebody peers in from the outside looking in, it's like, we're just a bunch of broken, weak people. And I don't know about you, but sometimes when I pray, I'm like, are we getting anything done here right now? And I want to propose to you that what is sown in weakness is raised up in power. Because you remember when we pray, where are our prayers going in heaven? Into what container in Revelation chapter 8? Into the bowls. And so some prayers, we see immediate answer right here, right now. We get the healing, we get the breakthrough, we get the signs and wonders, and some we just don't see yet. But every single prayer is going into the bowl. And then at the end, what happens to that bowl? It comes back to the earth. But it doesn't go back to the earth as a weak prayer from a broken man like me or a broken woman like you. It comes back in flashes of lightning and peals of thunder and rumbling and a great earthquake. That's how it returns. Paul Washer said this, we're praying in weakness and it comes back in strength. So powerful. So we can't lose sight of what is happening when we're crying out. We were praying a couple of Tuesdays. We have a Tuesday evening prayer meeting, seven o'clock. Please join us. We're praying. Candace was there. And we get to the end of the hour and we're singing, we're worshiping, we're praying. And Candace says, forgive me guys, but I was supposed to pray for a family in Afghanistan to eat tonight, to have a meal. And I haven't done it yet. And I decided I wasn't going to do it. And the Lord convicted me. She said, and he said, you're being stubborn. And if you will not pray for this family to eat, they will not have a meal tonight. And so she prayed. And so we agreed. And I'm telling you, something released in the room that night. There was a word in the spirit that came. Eric interpreted it. Sean and Becky were there. Something released and all six of us started weeping simultaneously. We started crying out for the spirit to move on all of our hearts to convince us of the necessity to pray. I can't be all excited and doing my clapping thing up here and get you guys to come to a prayer meeting. The spirit of God has to stir you to do it. But I'm telling you, he's ready. If you're willing, he's ready. So we prayed, and I was reminded, and I said this years ago, if I knew that on the south side of El Dorado, at a cross section in a street, there was a house, and at seven o'clock tonight, a girl was going to be abused. A little girl was going to be abused. But if I showed up to that house and knocked on the door, the abuse would not happen. I wonder if it would be worth it to me in my mind to get in my car and make that four minute drive and knock on that door. I'm like, I think I would. I think I'd take that chance. Or if I knew someone was going to die in their house, but if I showed up, they would live because if I prayed for them, they would not have that heart attack. 
and not spend eternity in hell, would I show up and go to their house and pray? I'm like, I think I would. And the reality is, that's exactly what's happening when we're praying. We just can't see it. It just takes faith. Little kids are being protected. Families are being fed. People are being prevented from dying and they're getting another chance to say yes to the gospel. And hearts are being softened and opened, but we just can't see it. But when we do not show up to pray, that does not happen then. Prayers have consequences like elections. We, when we show up and pray, we are actually binding and loosing. We're utilizing the keys of the kingdom. And when we don't, it doesn't happen. And therefore, so much war to keep us from praying. So much war. Guys, Isaiah 5, I'll finish with this, says, woe to those who call good evil and evil good. Woe or judgment is right on the doorstep for those who trade light for darkness and darkness for light. Woe, judgment is coming for those who put sweet for bitter and bitter for sweet. It is not a time to... So, I'm just pleading with, I can't say any more than I've already said. I'm pleading with you to pray. I'm pleading with you to come to the end of your strength. The Lord doesn't need all of your efforts. He needs you to go dip in the Jordan River seven times. That's what he needs from me. To become serious about this thing we call prayer for revival. The Lord will bring healing to our land. So I'm asking you, if you would, just pause with me a moment. Stand up if you, if you would, if you can, guys, please. I'm just going to ask what the Lord has said to you that he would repeat. Holy Spirit, I pray you would just speak what you have already said, the command you've already given to each one of these precious brothers and sisters to lay down the silver and the gold and the clothing. What does that command look like just to go dip in the Jordan? What's the one thing? It's no great thing. It's just the one thing. I don't want to ask you to search your heart and just be honest before the Lord. Remind me what you told me, Lord. Just ask him if you would. Just remind me what you told me. And I want to encourage you just to say yes to him. Brother Troy spoke. He is not a one and done thing. He's in process. We're in process as a people. He's not looking for perfection. He's just looking for surrender right now. One little step of obedience opens the door for the next. I just want to ask if you would just be honest before the Lord, where has my pride gotten in the way? I just pray for humble hearts for all of us here for a step of faith 
for someone in this room to take a step of faith today to step out in obedience to your command, Lord, to help usher in healing to this land. Yes, Lord. Can't do it without you, Lord. Let's pray for a transaction to take place this day, Lord. Take a moment here. Just let the Holy Spirit just guide you. His yoke is easy. His burden is light today. will not regret taking a step of obedience. I want to encourage you today, anything the Lord is calling you to do, he will give you the grace to walk it out and you will not regret it, church. Whatever he's called you to do, do not lean on your own strength. Just let that gas tank be emptied out and say, Lord, I'm all yours. Get me on the plane. Take me where you want me to go. Only by the spirit can I accomplish what you told me to do. Guys, if you'd like to receive prayer, for any of this, I want to encourage you to avail yourself, especially if you feel weak, especially if you feel powerless. Please avail yourself. The Lord has breakthrough. He has power. You're free to go. If you want to receive prayer for anything, please come up here to the front. We have Luke. Luke, keep on playing here for us. Just play over us. Bless you guys. Love you guys.